So listen, uh, before, before we get going uh, too far this morning, um, I'm going to say some things now that, um, well, I'm going to say them now because it's easier now than, than later. Um, I love you, and um, I, uh, I want you to know that, that in, the last, in the last month, I mean, what, five, six weeks, however long it's been, um, that I have appreciated um, and been uh, moved by your prayers for, for my family and for I, um, by your kind words. Um, many of you have, have reached out um, and been generous with us and, and just, um, you know, let me know that it's mattered that we've been here. And so on behalf of my family, because I want to, I'm going to be honest with you, like this is hard. Um, I mean, leaving is hard. That's not what I meant. Ministry is hard. Um, and so I appreciate knowing from you that it's been worth it. And so I want to thank you for that. And, um, and yeah, I want to thank you for that. And I want to say this, um, as well. Um, I appreciate all of, of the um, attempts to honor us, and that really is a blessing to us. But um, the absolute best thing that you can do um, to be honoring to me, I guess. I mean, you can honor them in a different way, probably. Um, but <laughs> give them a hug. They really love hugs. Travis and Aubrey love hugs. It's the last time I got to pay you five bucks. Um, but don't stop. Don't quit. It's the absolute best thing you can do uh, to honor the work and the ministry that we've done here is to not quit. Um, many of you, I have been so stinking impressed um, and moved by the effort and energy that you've put into your faith the way that you've um, dug in, the way that you've grown, the way that you've taken the Word of God seriously, and the way that you have um, just tried to grow more and more like Jesus. And the, the, the absolute best thing that I can think of is that you just don't quit, that you just keep going. Um, and, and that, above anything, um, would be um, a legacy that I'd like to, to help be a part of, certainly not in its entirety, but to be a part of in, in your spiritual life. So please don't quit. I love you and uh, I feel loved by you. And um, so just thank you for all of that. All right. So that being said, we're going to dig in. Uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts 20 and, and we're going to get started. I will. I don't, I don't know what that was, but I'm done. Let's do it. Uh, let's go ahead, and we're going to read. I, so, he, so here's the thing. We were, we were supposed to be in, in Job a little bit today. Um, and then I decided I didn't want to be in Job a little bit today. And I thought, you're just going to have to deal with it. Because I can do whatever I want today. And so what I've got for you is what I had planned for the rest of the year. Um, all crammed into this one week. So no, it's not really that bad. Um, but I, I do, I, I did want to switch gears today and I want to do probably what every pastor does when he tries to leave well, right? And, and there are two verses, right? Or two chunks of scripture that you get to preach out of and you're trying to leave well. And David called dibs because that's how he rolls he called dibs on the one that everybody would use. He's like, Joshua 1, I got that for after you're gone, so you can't have it. So instead, you get Acts 20. So, no pressure, but David better do a, a good job with Joshua 1, because he called dibs. But let's read in Acts 20. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. And I'm just going to read you the whole chunk here. And, uh, and we'll go from there, starting in, in verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would have been helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. 
I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about will see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. All right, so, so we're going we're gonna to dig in to that and what Paul had to say as he was officially saying goodbye um, to the elders in Ephesus. Now, I want to be clear here, just so there's no confusion. I'm not Paul, not claiming to be Paul, um, not claiming to have accomplished the ministry that Paul accomplished, but I think there is some real value uh, in what he says, because what he says... I find that hard to believe. Somebody, somebody check his card. Um, so what, here's the deal. What I, what, what I think we need to do, what, what, what Paul's doing here in, in this um, chunk of Scripture is he's saying goodbye uh, to the elders in, in Ephesus, right? Is he's, he, he's drilling down on what his core message to the church has always been. Right? And Paul taught a lot of things in Ephesus, right? He was there through ups. We, I mean, we, we did the book of Ephesus, or the book of Ephesians. We went through that for, for a good 16 weeks last fall. So we know this, but he was there and he ministered for three years through ups and downs, through good times and bad times, through joys and, and disciplines. He ministered well in Ephesus. And now, right, he is... He's done. And he's actually been traveling, and, and as he's passing by, he calls the elders of the church to come close, right? He actually sends for them. They travel to him so that he can give them these last words, the core of his message. Okay, listen, somebody turned it off. That wasn't even me. That's probably not true. Um, and here's what he says. I haven't hesitated. I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. It's like, but I gave it all to you. Right? I poured it out publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's point. The, the, the thrust of his message the point. He says, look, you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason this matters, right, the reason that Paul comes back to this, the reason that he's called the elders to come to him so that he can tell them this is not because they're slow at understanding, Right? The reason that you might spend, I don't know, your last Sunday, your farewell message, making sure that the gospel is understood is not because you're slow at learning the gospel. It's because ultimately the gospel is all that matters. <laughs> Afterwards, is somebody going to tell me what's going on? All right, cool. Um, that's all I ask. I just, I just want to be in the know. Um, but this is the thing, right? Like he is, he is saying, look, whatever happens, you can't miss this. You cannot be wrong about this. You cannot compromise about this. 
It's not that we don't understand the gospel. It's that we have to know how central and fundamental the gospel absolutely is. And this is why Paul gathers the leaders of that church together and he says, look, don't be confused. You want to be right with God? You want to be saved? You want to be counted amongst those that one day when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be? Then here's what you got to do. You have to turn to God in repentance. And you have to have faith in our Lord Jesus. Those are two fundamental keys. Two fundamental keys to what it means to be right with God. The reason that matters, right, is because we've gotten kind of confused in our world. In this culture, in this I don't know, I, I think in America, in, in the West, um, certainly in, in rural Iowa, but I think all over the place, I just don't live anywhere else. We've got this so jacked up. We've got this so confused. Right, because somewhere we've been led to believe that all we need to do is believe in God and we're fine. All we gotta do is believe in God and we're all good do is know that Jesus is real. And then you're set. The problem is that's just not true. Listen to me. Because this is, this is foundational. If your life does not involve repentance, then your belief does you zero good. Now, now I, 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 I want to be careful about this, right? Because I, I don't want to badmouth your belief, right? Your belief is, is fine. But if your belief is not coupled with repentance, then it does you zero good. James says that, right? What does he say? Even the demons believe. And they shudder because they're cursed and they're doomed for destruction and they know it. Belief is not the key. It is part of the key. But belief must be coupled with repentance. If belief isn't coupled with repentance, then you are stuck. If belief isn't coupled with repentance, then listen. I'm not sure that it's belief that's going to do you any good. And this isn't new, right? I've told you this. Like Paul, I think this has been um, one of the, the, the central um, thrusts of my message. We've talked about this a lot, is that just believing um, a couple of things is not enough to make you right with God. If it were, then we would have, um, we would have much better luck in evangelism. If it were, then we wouldn't have to work so darn hard. But repentance is key. So you want to know if you're really repenting. What is repenting? Have you ever, have you ever been driving in your car with your GPS on? And you think you're going the right direction. And then that stupid lady, all of the sudden, says, recalculating. You've been there? Is it just me that goes the wrong way? So I remember um, my dad and I, we were in Vegas. That sounds, sounds like a much better story than it is. <laughs> I remember this time my dad and I were in Vegas. No, 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 wasn't it? Uh, my daughter, Riley, you guys probably remember this, about seven years ago, Riley moved to Vegas after she got done at UNI. That's where she got her first teaching job. And so she flew there. We drove all of her crap there, Right? <laughs> She got up one day, went to the airport, got on a plane, and showed up in Vegas. It took us two days to load up all of her stuff and go. And then drop the stuff off at her apartment with her new roommate, go pick her up at the airport, take her back to her apartment, and all of this. It was a really long couple of days. And my dad, bless him, he's over here, you can mock him for this later. 
I ain't paying you either. Um, my dad has an aversion to GPS because that computer does not know what he knows, which is how to get back to the hotel even though he's never been here before. And it's late, and we're tired, and he's sure he's right. He wasn't. <laughs> Finally, he says, turn it on. Guess what it says? Recalculating. Recalculating, when the GPS says it, what it means is stop going this direction and go a different direction. This is what repentance is. Repentance is stop going your own way and go God's way. All right, I'm in. I'm here for this. Let's go. Uh, but, but here's the thing, right? When you repent, you stop and you turn and you go. Think of the prodigal son, right? He has shamed his father. He's, he's disgraced his father. He's gone away and now he's living his best life, except it turns out to be not his best life, right? But nobody can tell him what to do, right? Because his feelings matter more than anything else. His feelings are the most important thing. And so he's there, and he is doing everything he feels like will make him happy. But his feelings are stupid. He's following his heart. But our hearts are stupid. And so here he is, right? And he ends up in a pig pen. And it's only then that God gets a hold of him. And what does he do? He stands up in the distant country. He brushes himself off. And he turns a completely different direction and he goes home. He repents. You cannot rightly come to Jesus without repentance. You cannot rightly live in your sin and be good with it. If you have no desire to turn from your sin, listen, oh my goodness, look at me. This is, you can't miss this. I've said this to you before, but we get back to what's the core message. What do I wish people at Blessed Hope would know and understand when I'm gone? This is it. I want you to be right with Jesus. I want you to be right with Jesus. And you cannot be confident in your salvation if you have no desire to turn away from your sin. You just can't. It doesn't work. like saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I know that all of my sin, I know that all of my sin actually was put on you while you were on the cross. I thank you for the indescribable gift that that is. Now let me just keep on sinning. I need you to know, listen, I, I'm not here to judge your salvation. And we all have sin. Right? This, this world is, is messy and broken, and we've all got sin that we carry with us. That, that is what it is. And you're going to struggle in your sin. I struggle in my sin. But if you have no desire to walk away from it, then I just don't think. I'm not the judge of your salvation. But if you have no desire to walk away from it, I don't think you have a reason to be confident. David knew this. In the Psalms, here's what he said. How can I know the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from what? Deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. See, David isn't saying he'll be sinless or that he'll be um, free of guilt from any sin because he knows that we're all sinners, right? We all have sin in us. We all struggle to do the right thing. And we all have those moments where we meant to do something and something else happened and, and, and where sin kind of comes out of us. It's a judgmental spirit. It's, it, it's a rumor that comes out of our mouth. It's, um, it, it's anger that flashes. Like we all have these moments where sin will happen. But what David here is saying will make him free of guilt and innocent, what David is asking God to do is to help him deal with the deliberate, on-purpose sin. That's the sin that you do with your eyes wide open. It doesn't happen to you. You pick it. 
You choose it. You decide that it's not a big deal, that it doesn't really matter to God, and that what you want is more important. It's the opposite of repentance. Yourself instead of trusting God, and it's a problem. We call this, in this culture, and I've talked to you about this before, we call this cultural Christianity. And I know this gets complicated, right, as a church. As a church body, this gets really complicated because the whole premise of the church, the whole point is that everyone is welcome here. So we say to everybody, listen, the front doors of the church are wide open. The front doors of the church are wide open. We want everybody to come. And guess what? When they come here because this world sucks, because it's broken and it's messy, when they come, they're going to have sin. And they're going to have baggage. We have sin and we have baggage. And so we say the front door of the church is wide open. Come on in. You are welcome to be here. And that must always be the message of this church. Look at me. How fun is that? I'm dictating things about what must be right before I leave. (laughs) That must be the fundamental message of the church. The door is wide open. Come as you are. But you don't get to just stay there because repentance is a thing. Cultural Christianity says, listen, all I need is to know that God is real and I need to be able to trust him when things get bad and be a good person. And then I get to go to heaven. The problem is that's not a biblical message. It's not a biblical gospel. That's not a message or a gospel that Jesus preaches. Certainly not what Paul is talking about when he says you have to repent. Have repentance towards God and belief in Jesus. Basically what Paul is saying there, what Jesus preaches in the gospels is, if if you want to come to me, you have to die to yourself. It's not about you living your best life and being your happiest. Right? It's not about um, you, uh, you just being a good person. No. Something fundamentally more. Christianity is something fundamentally more. And it has been one of the uh, worries over my tenure that there would be people that call this place home that miss that. And so one last time, following Jesus is a whole lot more than just knowing that he's there. It's about surrender and submission. Now, my advice to you as I, nah, please, I'm going to say my advice to you as I leave. I'm not done. Mm, I'm not done. But my advice to you as I leave here is to search carefully for who comes next. Right? Because there's three things that you need to have. And I want to warn you up front, as a guy that's been here and done that, they're not always popular with people outside the church or with people inside the church. So first things, as you search for someone new, understand these things. Not preaching grace and truth is not biblical preaching. You must excel at both. As a pastor, as elders, and as those people that make up the church, you must excel at both. And here's the the rub with grace and truth. When you work in that, you're unpopular to a lot of people. And you just got to know that. You just got to understand that. Because when you operate full of grace and only grace, then everybody on this side will think, man, what a gracious, loving pastor. That guy really knows some stuff, right? He really puts other people first, and he really wants to make people feel connected and loved and welcomed. He's awesome. But everybody over here on the truth end will say, no, 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 man, he's missing the boat. He's a false teacher. He's no good. 
But then you get this person over here on the truth end that just wants to beat you with the truth over and over and over again, right? And it's lacking love and grace and connection and timing and nuance and anything helpful, right? And everybody over there is like, he is the worst. But these guys are like, finally, a pastor that will slam the Bible on the pulpit and preach the truth. And when you shoot for the middle... What have we called this, right? This is the messy grace area. When you shoot for the middle and and you try to be full, like Jesus, of grace and truth, there's going to be a window where people are going to get it. But there's going to be either side of that continuum that think you're doing it wrong, and golly gee whiz, they don't mind telling you. You're finding yourself your next lead pastor. May I suggest that they need to be excellent at preaching, um, full of grace and truth. And here's what it looks like, right? It's a gospel that welcomes everyone. If the gospel doesn't welcome everyone through the doors of the church, it is not the real gospel. Jesus welcomed everyone. I don't care who they were or what baggage they had or what sin they were stuck in. Jesus welcomed everyone. But a gospel that doesn't encourage people to take their sin seriously is also not the real gospel. You need to do both. We keep going, right? You're like, Matt, we're not going very fast. It's okay. It'll pick up. And now Paul says, compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, listen, I'm not going to Jerusalem. That would be cool. And I don't think the Holy Spirit, at least, has not indicated to me that there is prison and hardship facing me. I don't believe that's the case. But I am compelled by the Spirit to leave you. That's, that there is the will of God. And so I am. And I agree with Paul that I consider my life worth nothing to me My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so that's what I want to accomplish. And right now, the work that he's giving me is to to be the best husband I can be. To be the best father I can be. And right now, to counsel children at Bowman Woods Elementary School and their parents and the staff there with all of the grace that that he has allowed me to have. And so that is what I'm doing, compelled by the Spirit of God. And I would ask you to continue to pray for us and for that ministry. I had that job before. You ever watch a movie and it's not awesome? And then you watch it again and you're like, that was really good. That ever happened to you? Which one? Toy Story 4, winner, right? Can I tell you the truth? And this is a little embarrassing to me right now. I haven't seen Toy Story 4. (laughs) Three was hard for me, guys. Three was rough. And now you want me to watch four? I said goodbye to everybody at the end of three. It'd be like if I'm like, guys, it's my last Sunday, and then I show up next week. Just kidding. We're going to do one more. (laughs) Toy Story 4. But you watched it, it was bad, you watched it again, it was awesome. I get it, right? That's the way I I feel about school counseling. I had that job before, and it was good, but I, I didn't understand what God wanted to accomplish with me in that role. And I feel like one of the things that I've been able to do in this role is I've encouraged you to be ministers of the gospel where God has planted you. Right? And now I have the opportunity to to put that into practice. And so I'm excited for that opportunity to do the work that God's given me to do, to testify to the good news of God's grace. And so that is what I intend to do. And so Paul says this, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to to proclaim to you, procleach. Come on, Hans, you're better than that. Um, Procleach, proclaim to you the whole will of God. I have, in my tenure here, 
as some of you are painfully aware. Thank you. In my tenure here, I have made, some of you are painfully aware of this, many, many mistakes. For some of those mistakes, I've stood here and I've apologized to you. Some of them were much smaller. Some of them were individual apologies. And I am truly sorry for those. But I I feel like with Paul, I can say this at least. I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean my heart doesn't, doesn't break for those that struggle with the gospel. But I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole truth to you. And I hope with all sincerity that you will respond to it if you have not already. Because it doesn't get bigger than this. The gospel matters. It takes repentance and it takes belief. And it matters. And then Paul says this. He says, so keep watch over yourselves and of all the flock with which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, there's a couple things there I want you to know that should encourage you, um, should have always encouraged you, but now in this time of transition should encourage you even more. Uh, the people that Paul's talking to, if you go back to Acts 20, verse, excuse me, verse 17, he's talking to the elders. He actually says that he calls the elders in Ephesus to come to him. And now talking to the elders... He uses some different words to describe them, right? He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, right? Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseers is the word that we would use to get bishop, right? People over a church. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, bishop. And then he says this, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That word for shepherd is the same word we use for pastor, Same Greek word, right? So be shepherds, be pastors, be overseers, bishops. All of these we know as elder. These are all functions and roles within elders. Listen, you have exceptional elders. Past, present, and no doubt future. You have exceptional elders. And you have exceptional elders because of this. Because they were appointed by the Holy Spirit. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has put the elders in their position in this place that is not accidental. And during this time of transition, that should give you great comfort. That should always give you great comfort. But especially in a time of transition, it should give you great comfort. You are not because I'm leaving. Oh my goodness. You don't even know the half of it. You are not without spiritual guidance and grounding and appointment just because I'm leaving. You have it in spades. You're in good shape. But Paul says, keep watch. Why keep watch? Why keep watch? Because it's going to be bad. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Listen, here's what Paul's saying. Track with this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying... Here's what he's saying. (laughs) What he's saying is that anytime there is a gap, anytime there's a vacuum of perceived authority. Now, right? He just said, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, shepherds of these people. Your elders are put in place by the Holy Spirit to be shepherds and, and elders and bishops here. There is no leadership vacuum. But because I am stepping down, there is the perception 
of a leadership vacuum. And whenever there is the perception of a leadership vacuum, Satan wants to use it and manipulate and wiggle and worm his way in. And Paul is saying, this is the true gospel. You're in charge of the church. Guard it. Do not let it be manipulated. Don't let it be compromised. Do not allow it to happen. Because I know when I'm gone, Satan will get somebody to try. Maybe somebody from out there. Maybe somebody from in here. I think we can all agree that's a bad idea. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person. Let it come from out there. But Satan, he, Paul says, I, I, I know that that's what will happen. So be on guard. Watch out. Do not compromise. He's like, don't you remember? I, I, I cried to you about the true gospel day and night for three years, teaching from house to house. I poured myself out for the sake of you. Do not compromise it now. Be on guard. And, and this is something Paul is extremely concerned about. And I'll be honest with you, it's something I'm concerned about. Not because I don't trust you, not because I don't trust the elders, but because I know the culture we live in. Here's what he says in Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves. They'll scoff at God. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll be reckless, puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. That's the Holy Spirit and the true gospel that changes. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the gospel. It'll look like Christianity a little bit. It'll smell like Christianity a little bit. It might use some of the same language. But if it compromises the gospel, it ain't Christianity. Paul says, watch out. Don't let them come in. Don't let them drag people away. He says this too, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but they will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear and they will reject the truth and chase after myths. Here's, here's the point Paul's making here, right? As he's saying, watch the doctrine of the church. He's saying that you know what sounds better than biblical Christianity? The Christianity that we can make up as a culture. The one that decides all of the forgiveness is ours, but none of the sacrifice. All of the benefit with none of the dying to ourself. All of the following um, straight to heaven, none of the saying yes to godliness and no to ungodliness. And if we're not careful... You can always find a teacher that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And there are whole churches and denominations that have decided that this is no longer good. And this is no longer accurate. What they've decided is that these are nice ideas, but it doesn't have to be taken seriously. It was written 2,000 years ago, even longer. And so while it's good to know it and to understand some of it, you don't have to believe everything that's in here. In fact, what they would say is um, that it's our job they would argue, they would preach this from their pulpit. And it's called, by the way, deconstruction. It's when you deconstruct your faith and then build it back up with something more palatable. Something that you like better, that itches the ears. 
that makes you feel good. But what they would say is, and they preach this from the pulpit. I was listening to something about this last week. They would say is that this, it's our job to drag it kicking and screaming into the present. And that means that ideas that it has from so long ago don't matter anymore. And because that's not the world we live in, we have to change those ideas to mean something different now. That's exactly what Paul is saying don't do. So you can't tell me, listen, you can reject this out of hand. You could just say the Bible is just man's words. It just is what it is. I might read it, but I'm not going to take it seriously. But you can't say to me the Bible is good, but it needs to be updated. Because it says don't do it. It says don't update it. You can't update it. You have to leave it alone. Paul says a time is coming where where people are going to try to find teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Right? It'll sound religious, but it will have none of the power, none of the gospel. Don't do it. Listen, church, I'm leaving you. Do not compromise. Don't. I'm not worried that you will, but my encouragement to you is that when people tell you that you're narrow-minded and you're closed off and you're out of date, and this is one of my favorites, you're on the wrong side of history, do not. Paul warns you that it would happen. Don't. You know what we call that? We call that progressive Christianity. There's a name for it in every century. In the first century, when when the the biblical authors were writing, especially towards the end of that first century, you read John, uh, Peter. Two minute warning. It went by. (laughs) That is wildly optimistic. (laughs) That's good. Was that yours or did somebody give you that? That's good. I like it. I like it. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do now because I'm like, well, he's appointed by the Holy Spirit. But we can ignore him this once. Because watch out. Wolves and sheep. No, anyway, all right. But, but, but here's the thing. In the first century, it's called Gnosticism. It's called Gnosticism. Right? And in fact, I, I know I talk... People ask me about, well, what about all those books of the Bible that were written that they just got rid of? Like, read about them. Don't just, I heard this once, and so it must be, read about them. Right? They're, 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 they're not authentic, and, and it's easily, I don't have time to get into the apologetic of it, but it's easily understood when you do the research. They're just not real. They're the Gnostic Gospels, right? It's the false teaching that comes through. Um, by people that want to make it different. By people that want to, always, people that want to have their cake and eat it too. They want their salvation, but they want to live the life they want to live. That's how the Gnostic gospel started, right? It started with this idea that everything physical is bad, right? So everything physical will be burnt away at some point in time. So what you do in your physical body doesn't matter, only your spiritual body. That's how Gnosticism started. The first progressive Christianity movement said, you can go to your orgies. You can get drunk. You can do everything you want and still be okay with Jesus because that's spiritual. All that other stuff is physical. It doesn't matter. Right? Progressive Christianity always looks to make it so that you can have Jesus and then do whatever you want. And it's happening again in our culture. It's not a surprise. So here's my advice to you. I gave this to you this week but, um, uh, on social media, but I, I want to give it to you now too. Know why you believe what you believe. Because if you don't know why you believe what you believe, when it gets pushed against, it'll fold. And there is no substitute for knowing the word of God. The Word of God does not need to be updated. It is living and active. That's what it tells us about itself. It is living, it is active, it is useful for correction and rebuking and teaching and admonishing and bringing us up in all matters of godliness. The Word of God is exactly what God intended us to have. It does not need help. And the absolute best remedy for that is for you to know it. 
Because when you know it, and you're reading another book that implies something different, you'll recognize that right away. I remember Carrie once, um, this is when we first moved here, somebody had asked her to read a book, um, and, and the author eventually went nuts. From Christian standpoint, right? She's just living her self-actualized best life, really, is what she's doing from a progressive Christianity standpoint. But from an Orthodox Christianity standpoint, she went off the deep end. She divorced her husband, married um, a woman, and now they all get together for family dinners, and it's a little bit weird. And um, she champions abortion, and she does these other things. But before that was her public stance, right? She was writing Christian blogs and writing Christian books. And one of Carrie's friends asked her to read this book. This is awesome. This is great. You'll learn so much. Read it. And I remember Carrie reading it and, and knowing right away. I don't know. I, I mean, I think I remember us having this conversation. I don't know what it is, but this is wrong. This isn't good. And I remember, I, if, I, if I remember right, it was this like eight years ago, kind of had her around with that person because it was not a well-received, mm, I don't like it. I don't think it's real. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's good. And it didn't end well, right? Because when you try to live in that thing, it's not always popular. But when you know the Bible, the Holy Spirit in you is working, right? You'll know what's true and you can reject what's false when you read something. When you hear preaching that just doesn't jive, you'll know it, right? When somebody says, well, I, I believe this, or I think this is true. I think God would say this. You're like, no, no, no. No, I know what God has said. Know the Bible. It keeps going. He says, so now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, to which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. This is where I leave you. This is where Paul leaves them. He says, look, I've ministered with you for three years. I've been here eight and a half. I've taught you the true gospel. I feel like I've done that. It's like I'm innocent. I feel like I am too. And then he warns him, he says, and because it's the true gospel, you cannot compromise it. Do not allow it to be compromised. And I'm giving you the same warning. And then here's what Paul says as he ends the conversation. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, here, here's, here's what he means and here's what I mean when I say that. It's not that I'm like, okay, I, you were mine, now I'm giving you back to God. That's not what it means. But it means is I'm leaving and I don't love it. I mean, I'm happy to go. I'm super excited for this next chapter, this next thing that we're going to do. Because I feel like that's God-ordained. But I'm also heartbroken to be leaving you, just like Paul was. I mean, probably not as much as Paul. I mean, he was Paul. But I, I am, I'm, I'm sad and, and, and broken to be leaving you. But, but here's the thing. I, I can do it confidently. I leave you with confidence. Why? Why am I so confident? Because I am not commending you to whatever happens next. I'm commending you to God. The God who brought me here in the first place. The God who established this church well before I arrived. And the God who has ministry and work for this church to do long after I've gone. I'm commending you to him. And so while I don't necessarily feel good about it, I'm, I'm trusting that what God does next is going to be spectacularly awesome. And ultimately, I have no doubt that I'm going to be jealous that I didn't get to be an intimate part of it with you. I am commending you to God. Commending you to God. It's the best I can do for you as I leave. I'm committed. There it is. 
Thank you. Let's go with law. Or did you mean nachos? This is the best I can do. It's the best I can do is, is commit you to God in prayer. So here's my promise to you. I will be in prayer for you. Individually. Corporately. As I have prayed for you, I will continue to do so. And that's how he ends this. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down and he prayed. I've been moving a lot, packing a lot of things. I'm sore. I'm going to stand. But I want to pray with you and for you, if you'd let me. Heavenly Father, God, I, I, I commit the body of believers that makes up Blessed Hope Community Church to you. God, I pray a blessing on them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would hold them fast. I pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would remind them often of the true gospel which saves them. God, that you would remind them and encourage them in constant repentance, turning away from ungodliness and turning towards you. God, I pray that you would protect them. Give them ears that are sensitive and hearts that are, that are in tune to what your word says so that they can be on guard against the attacks from the enemy that try to come in and ruin God, I pray a blessing on the leaders that have been appointed for this place, for this time, by your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the staff that you've put in place here. I pray that you will encourage them as they continue to minister well. I pray for the individuals that make up this body, God, that you would in encourage them and empower them to keep going. God, ultimately... We love you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.